You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Lord Jesus Christ is judge of the earth. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed. There are four main aspects of the work of Christ as the judge. Individuals will be judged and the principles for their judgment is outlined. Israel will be judged before they are reconciled to God. The nations will be judged and finally the apostate religious systems of the world will be judged and destroyed. Only then will the world be ruled with justice and peace. But the wonderful hope for us is that we can be part of this final picture if we choose to follow God now. Well, we just read that passage from the New Testament, from the Acts of the Apostles. Um, And although it's written over 2,000 years ago, uh, describing the visit made by the Apostle Paul to Athens, which was the chief city of what was Greece, which was uh, a central part of the ancient world, um, it's not irrelevant because it was written 2,000 years ago. In fact, it's very relevant. Athens was a place, as was Greece in those days, as was the ancient world in those days, full of religious ideas. We call them idolatry because they worshipped false gods. They didn't understand the truth. Um, And Greece then was a place of many religions, many philosophies, and people uh, liked to learn something new, it said in verse 21. We didn't read that verse, but it just says, you know, they like to learn something new. So they wanted to listen to what Paul had to say. And Paul was, we describe him as the apostle, somebody sent out to speak to uh, both Jews and also Gentiles. Gentiles, people who are not Jews. <clears throat> so the gospel message was to reach out into all the world. And here he was, taking it to this center of, uh, of ideas and philosophies uh, and <clears throat> idolatries. Uh, and they wanted to hear what he got to say. And he tells them about God, the true God. He said, look, you've got all sorts of ideas, a lot of confusion, many churches, as it were. But he said, there's only one true way, one true God. And that true God is the one who is the creator of all life. He's the very source of our being. Uh, and although there are people who want to deny his existence today, as they were, was, were then, um, and they've tried to explain the origin of life by so-called scientific theories, uh, the fact is that, that the truth of, of, of God's purpose, which was originally revealed, has been distorted by the art and imagination of men, as it says here. So, so the ideas that, that are around, which people use to get out of accepting the one true God, um, they give us lots of choices. But if we want the truth, if we want to know the truth, and it has a dramatic impact on our lives if we know the truth, then it's to the scripture we need to go, because there we learn about, as the Apostle Paul says, the one true God and his purpose. 
and, and Paul says there's a consequence to the choice that we make. And so he said in verses 30 and 31 that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And he says of this he's given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, it's a kind of dramatic thought, the idea of the resurrection. I'm sure everybody's heard of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the best attested facts of history. And uh, people have tried to discredit it, tried to say, no, it couldn't have happened, but then when they've gone in and studied the evidence that exists, they come to the conclusion, it must be that the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, who was crucified in Jerusalem by the authorities at the time, rose from the dead. He claimed to be the Son of God. He spoke wonderful things, which you might expect from one who was in touch with the truth, but they didn't want to listen. So they crucified him. But by that very means, God was demonstrating the consequence of human folly, human sin, uh, and by raising him from the dead, showed there's a way out of it which we can follow. But not only was Jesus raised and then went to heaven, the ascension we call it, went to be with his father, the right hand of his father in heaven, then over and over again the Bible tells us that there will come a time when he will return, and as we read, to be the judge of the world, to one who will come back to sort the world out. And my goodness me, I think we all agree the world needs start sorting out. And so the assurance, it says, of the return of Jesus uh, to judge the world, to sort things out, is the resurrection. So if you've got any doubts about in your faith, you think, well, I'm not sure if I can believe it or not, look into the resurrection in some depth, and we can help you with that. Uh, certainly, and I think you will almost inevitably, if you look at it closely and sincerely, come to the conviction that it must have happened, and therefore Jesus must have been the Son of God. Therefore, what he said must be true, and therefore those who went out, like the Apostle Paul, in order to preach what he said, the good news we call it, they must be true too. So the truth is the is. Is the, uh, of the resurrection is the guarantee that there will be a day of judgment when the judge will be Jesus. So this phrase, uh, judge of all the earth, it goes right the way back. In fact, you find it in the, in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, uh, in connection with God's judgments on Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, wicked cities, uh, uh, many thousands of years ago. But the coming of Jesus makes clear that, that God is the judge, but he's, as it were, delegated that judgment of the world to his son. He is the one appointed by God, uh, we read elsewhere in the New Testament, to be judge both of the living and the dead. So when he comes, there'll be people, of course, alive, comes to a world full of living people, and there'll be people who have fallen asleep, who are dead. So this evening we're going to think, what do we know about this judgment that's to take place? That's our subject. And I did wonder, I must admit, I mean, I thought of how can I approach this best of all. Uh, I, I could have 
and it would have been nice to have spent time reflecting on the sort of judge Jesus is, the sort of person he was, what we learn about him. Uh, and certainly from the Gospels, we see a man who was full of perception, full of wisdom. Uh, and the way he dealt with people was so uh, marvelous. A woman caught in adultery, uh, that people were trying to kind of expose her really and embarrass her and, and, and put a sort of difficult question to the Lord. And he, he just exercised wonderful judgment in, uh, in helping that woman and in, in condemning those who were trying to be difficult and, and, and expose her. A rich young man who came to him said, what, and Jesus understood what his needs was, what he needed to do, and made a, a very sound judgment about this young man's needs. Peter, his disciple, one of his leading disciples, uh, a great character, full of energy and enthusiasm, Jesus had the right, knew just how to handle him and to bring the best out of him, so that he later became a great exponent of the gospel message. Uh, the woman that came to the house of a man called Simon, uh, who was a, a fairly kind of a important person in the community, uh, full of fairly self-regard, and he invited Jesus to go and have a, have a meal with him, and this, this woman came in, and she was a woman of the street in the, in the minds of all the people there. And they thought, what's this woman doing in here? And, and, and almost trying to throw her out. But in fact, Jesus, no, Jesus let her come to him. He could see she was a woman who had needs, and she came, and, and at the foot of Jesus, it says that she anointed his feet uh, with a very expensive oil that she'd brought and wiped his feet with the hair of her head. And she became somebody whom Jesus said, look, her, she's got a great need, but her love, her desire to get some beauty into her life means that she can obtain forgiveness. And so we could go on. Uh, Jesus' judgment of the Pharisees, the self-important religious people who strutted around and said, look at me, I'm a very holy person. And Jesus said they were hypocrites a lot of the time. Uh, the, the civil rulers, Pontius Pilate, uh, who was there as the Roman governor of the province of uh, Judea, uh, Jesus perceived him and, and understood uh, where he was coming from. The thief on the cross, a man who was dying alongside Jesus on the cross in, in agony, and yet this man had somehow heard and grasped something about the purpose of God, about a world that would be changed and transformed. And so he, he, he gasped to the Lord Jesus Christ, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus perceived his faith and responded and said, I can, I'm telling you right now, he said, you're going to be with me in my kingdom. So there we are. That's the kind of wonderfully perceptive person. Jesus was a great judge of character, great judge of people's needs, great understanding, perception as to what people wanted uh, in order to uh, make their lives, lives which had some dignity and worth within them. In fact, the, uh, the phrase that's used by Paul, um, God has, uh, will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, it's, actually, it's probably an echo of a psalm. The psalms in the Old Testament were, were like the hymn book, really, of the Old Testament times, and right through to the New Testament as do. And Psalm 96 
uh, finishes with that phrase. It says, he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And because of this, the psalm says, we can rejoice, we can, we can be thankful. We can be so glad to know that a time is coming when someone's going to come. It's the, the representative of, of God himself, and from the New Testament we learn it is the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to come. And uh, my goodness, uh, as we look around the world, and particularly at the moment, people's minds are concentrated, aren't they, by the huge disturbance and distress taking place not so far away in Europe, then we realise how much we need somebody with the power, the authority, the strength, the character to be able to sort it all out and bring about uh, a, a better state of affairs where there will be justice for everybody, where there will be peace for all people. Now I'd like us just to turn to uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, that's Daniel. And we're going to look at, at Daniel chapter 11. You may have heard of Daniel in the lion's den if you ever went to Sunday school. Um, did you go to Sunday school, Graham, ever? Yeah, well done. So you heard of Daniel in the lion's Great, well done. We're on the same page there. So, so anyway, Daniel was a great prophet uh, and uh, God revealed to him some wonderful things. And at the end of Daniel chapter 11, he speaks about a great power coming down from the north. Now, uh, we can't go into this in, in detail this evening, um, but it's talking about a power that will come down from the north in the latter days. And the latter days is a phrase meaning that the last times, the end times, people say, the times immediately before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this great power comes down into the land of Israel. And of course, historically, the land of Israel is associated with God's purpose, Jerusalem, uh, the, the capital city, which has a great purpose as the capital city of the future kingdom of God. Um, this is the setting that's presented to us. And we can see, that's why you know, students of prophecy have been extremely uh, disturbed, but also excited in the last weeks by the way in which that great power from the north, Russia, has come down, in this case, into Ukraine, showing what Russia is capable of doing. Uh, but we expect from prophecy that at some point, Russia will come down into Israel. We don't know the reason why. Uh, it may well be uh, because Israel will start supplying gas to Europe which at the moment uh, Europe is depending on from Russia. So they may turn to Israel for an alternative source of supply and the Russians may come down to try and uh, stop that happening. Um, so whatever, anyway, the, the point is this, that when these events are taking place, Daniel chapter 12 goes on and says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, now, Nothing to do with me. Michael means, literally, who is like God. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is like God in his character, uh, in his, his ways. Uh, the great prince, it says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been before. Uh, and at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who's written in the book. 
So there are some people who are written in the book. Well, what's the book? Well, it's sometimes referred to as the book of life. We're not talking about a literal book, of course, but it's a way of saying people's lives, characters, uh, things they've done have been recorded. And if they're in that book because they've tried to serve and please God, then something's going to happen. And it says, verse 2 of Daniel chapter 12, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth in other words, they're dead. They will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there you see how there's a link between the resurrection in the future, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and the judgment that will take place when that resurrection happens. And we also see from this, because at the end of chapter 11, talking about this great northern power coming down, it says he will come to his end with no one to help him. So we can see there's kind of two areas of judgment, in a way, two kinds of judgment. First of all, there's a, there's a judgment of individuals, those who are awake at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have fallen asleep because they've died, there's a judgment of those, and there's a judgment of nations. And they're both connected because in both cases, Jesus is the judge, and both require the second coming of Jesus. So we're going to start off just spending a few minutes thinking about the judgment of individuals, which we see is tied in with the resurrection. Now, um, we're going to uh, just refer to one or two passages. There's the passage we've just been looking at actually from Daniel chapter 12 uh, and you can see there in the middle many of those sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life some to shame everlasting contempt and it says if we're wise then we'll be given a a, a new nature so it will uh, again it's it's figurative poetic language shine uh, like the brightness of the firmament uh, like the stars forever and ever but this is on the earth Jesus returned to the earth and those who are his followers who have believed him and trusted him will be given uh, this wonderful new role within his kingdom. Um, and here's some more passages. Here's Jesus himself speaking in John chapter 5, where he says, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So a division between those who are classified as good and those who are classified as bad. Uh, one lot are raised to become uh, shining stars, as it were, within the kingdom of God. The other lot will be condemned. Again, a passage from, from Paul's letter to the Romans. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, each of us shall give account of himself to get. So Dave, giving an account of what sort of people we have been. Uh, again, in 2 Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, when Daniel wrote about many of those sleeping in the dust of the earth being raised... Um, he, he gives us a clue that although we've, and often with the Bible, we have to kind of put one pasture alongside another pasture. Although these other pastures we're talking about 
you're all going to have to stand for it. I mean, in that case, the apostle was writing to believers. So all these believers who were members of the, uh, of the then ecclesia, we call it, the church, the ecclesia, where they met together, he says, you're all going to have to stand before the judgment seat. You're, you're responsible in the eyes of God. But uh, the fact is, there's another class of people who are not responsible. And it answers the question people sometimes ask, well, what about people living uh, uh, hundreds of years ago who lived in some distant part of the world where they'd never heard of God, never knew anything about the gospel? How can you raise them uh, and judge them according to uh, principles they know nothing about? And so the Bible is quite, or God, should we say, is, is, is quite fair. And what he tells us, and if we turn to Psalm 49, if those of you who've got your Bible, if not, I'll read it to you, Psalm 49, then here's a clear statement in the Bible. It says that there is a class of people who will not be raised. It says, Psalm 49, verse 10, uh, wise men... Uh, who, are, and who are foolish people, they perish, right? So they cease to exist. Verse 12, they're like the beasts that perish. So it doesn't matter how important you are, how well-known you are, how famous you've become. The fact is that if you don't understand the things of God, if you've, if you've never heard them, you're completely ignorant of the things of God, God isn't going to raise, raise you and say, right, why didn't you do this, that, and that? Because you didn't know you were supposed to be doing it. So there's a, there's a fairness uh, in the fact that people who have no knowledge of God, and they have no knowledge of God because, they're, to be honest, their ancestors in times past have turned away from God and they've grown up in ignorance and they live their lives and they die and that is the finish. They're like the beasts that perish. So that's one category of people, those who, who will not be raised to the judgment. But then uh, there's another category of people, of course. And um, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about uh, those who are alive at the coming of Jesus, who it says won't get in front of people who are asleep. So in other words, if, if Christ returns, the resurrection takes place, then um, those who are already alive at that time won't be as head of the queue in terms of uh, the judgment. Uh, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will, raise, will, will rise first. So, um, will only the dead in Christ, if we think of the, the notion of being in Christ, it suggests, doesn't it, that they've, they've, they're people who've believed, they've been baptised, uh, they become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are in Christ. Uh, and we would expect, if that's their situation, um, that they're going to uh, be given the opportunity in the judgment to give an account of themselves. But what about people who have had the opportunity but, but not come into Christ? Or people who have come into Christ and then left and no longer become part of his community of believers. So if we turn over to the, to the second of Thessalonians, again, if you've got your Bible, uh, if not, I'll read it to you. Second of Thessalonians chapter 1. 
is a, a dramatic picture about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, taking vengeance on those who, do know, who know not God and who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those who know not God are those who have not obeyed and they've put themselves into a state of rejection and of ignorance. And so they're going to be judged uh, with a judgment of condemnation. They'll be punished, it says, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. So Jesus will come, the resurrection will take place. Uh, they had the opportunity, but they turned their back on it or went away from it, and they will recognize, be, be made to realize what a terrible mistake they made, but they will end up simply uh, dying forever. They won't uh, have a, a second opportunity. But it also says that Jesus will be coming then in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. So the saints are those who believe that both cases we have a sort of parallel expression. To be admired among all those. So those who believe, the believers who are in Christ, then they will be, able, will be changed. Uh, as we are told, in, in a twinkling of an eye, there'll be a sudden transformation where this mortality, where we're all sick, dying people, eventually will die uh, in the normal course of events, uh, this will be changed to have a nature like the Lord Jesus Christ that will be an eternal nature. So faithful, baptized believers who have come into Christ and been faithful will be given eternal life. So, uh, that's the situation. And of course we have to, to recognize the fact that, that it's possible to, to make a good start and then to lose your life. You lose your way. Just being, believing and being baptised isn't a guarantee that uh, you're going to get eternal life. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, will be acting on behalf of God, and it's all of his grace. It's, it's something which, which is rewarded on the basis that people have, have faithfully done their best. We haven't got to be perfect. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus is there for us. We, we believe and we're baptised because we're imperfect, because we want to deal with our imperfection. Uh, and God says that uh, those who have done their very best will be rewarded. But if we've actually uh, taken advantage of the situation and not attempted to try to please God, live faithful lives, just all well, it doesn't matter. So perhaps if I just turn up once a week, but the rest of the week I carry on with my life without any interest in the things of God to then uh, we're actually returning to the darkness of the world's thinking. So belief and baptism, there's a passage in Romans chapter 2, does not confer an automatic ticket to eternal life. And it's based on how faithful we've been in our spiritual journey, the direction of our lives. Um, and, and we'll make mistakes, we'll do things wrong, we're not perfect at all. But if we're in Christ, then we can be forgiven if we ask for forgiveness. But, of course, if we deliberately, in a calculated way, 
live lives of, of sin or, or turn our backs on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and return to the darkness of the world's thinking, then we shall be condemned. So here's a sort of summary of, of that uh, to try, for you to try and get your head around. Uh, so you've got faithful people who are raised to judgment who are given the reward of eternal life. You've got unfaithful people uh, who are raised but are condemned to death. So they, they had the opportunity, they made a good start, but they became unfaithful in their journey. You've got those who rejected it in the, completely. They, they were told about it, they learned about it, but they rejected it. No, I don't want to know. They did not obey the call of God. And they're raised and held to account and condemned to eternal death. And then there are those who have no knowledge of it, never knew, uh, who are like the beasts that perish, we said, who uh, never rise again. They're, they just simply exist uh, as normal sinners. They've not done anything about their state of sin. They didn't know what to do even, necessarily. And they will die like the animals, and that will be the end. So that's about, you know, in a summary, and I've realized that it's been a bit of a whistle-stop tour, a kind of summary of the principles in the Bible about the judgment of individuals. Now, what about the judgment of nations? Well, that starts, interesting, with the judgment of Israel. And uh, we read about uh, Israel at the mercy of this great northern power that comes down uh, towards Jerusalem uh, in order to try to uh, take a spoil, it says, in order, to, in order to get some sort of profit for itself. Um, and we're told that it will be a situation where um, uh, it says all Jerusalem will become a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples, uh, that Jerusalem will be a heavy stone for all people. Um, and in that time when there's turmoil in the Middle East centered on what's happening as this great power comes down to Jerusalem, it says that then God will manifest his power through the Lord Jesus Christ and destroy, judge the nations coming against Israel. But Israel itself will be judged because Israel, as a, as a people in the Middle East, they're not God-fearing, many of them. Some of them are. Um, but uh, there will be those who, who retain a, a uh, selfish, humanistic attitude, uh, reject the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they rejected him at his first coming. Uh, and we're told in Zechariah that uh, there will be a, a, a refining process, there will be a sifting and those who turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, look on the one who was crucified 2,000 years ago, they uh, will have the opportunity uh, to serve God in the kingdom to come. They'll be settled in the promised land under the rule of the 12 apostles. And that northern confederacy we spoke about in Daniel chapter 11 will come to its end with none to help him. There's some great verses in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which you might like to look at, and we talk about them later with you, uh, which talk about these powers, uh, and, and we can even find an identification with modern Russia 
in the prophecies there, coming down and meeting its end on the mountains of Israel. And uh, Joel chapter 3 speaks about uh, what's called the, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Judgment. It's linked in with the idea of Armageddon that you have heard of, the, the Valley of Armageddon, that the final uh, conflict between the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the powers that God has, in, has given to, to his, uh, his angels and to those who are made immortal, that conflict uh, between those powers that come from God and the powers of uh, the world. And uh, it talks about, in Joel chapter 3, uh, a grain harvest, put in the sickle and, and reap the harvest, and also uh, a, a, a grape harvest. Um, so uh, that's, as it were, the, the, the kind of, there's a simultaneous activity going on in a sort of a way at that time, uh, but those, those represent the sort of first stages. And then that northern confederacy comes to his end with none to help. And then there's another judgment that's spoken about, which is talking about the fall of Babylon. So if, if Armageddon represents uh, a grain harvest, uh, nations that are combined together to try to oppose the rule of Christ, um, then we also have this grape harvest, which perhaps represents the, the false religious systems that are going to be destroyed. And uh, the book of Revelation has a lot to say about this, and we can identify uh, from Revelation chapter 17 and 18 characteristics of false, uh, what we call apostate Christianity. Christianity which has gone away from the truth of the preaching of Jesus and the apostles and brought into its teachings things which are not in the Bible at all and promoted them in order to give itself power and authority and influence throughout the world, uh, has often got into relationships with governments and kingdoms. I mean, think how, for example, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, is in cahoots with the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, for example. How the European powers uh, have a close relationship with the Pope uh, and the Roman Catholic system. And so on. We can, we can look at these, these comp where religious leaders have, as it were, sold themselves to, to give themselves additional power by forming alliances with, with huge political institutions. The uh, Book of Revelation says those who are truly God's people don't get involved. They come out of it. Uh, they don't uh, enable themselves to share in the false teaching uh, that has taken place. And instead, we have a picture uh, in the Bible of, uh, of, of wonderful events associated with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints. I, I put three references there, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a, is, is a lovely psalm uh, which speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ being at the right hand of God as now, it goes on and speaks about uh, people who will be with him in the day of resurrection. It uses lovely language. It, it speaks about, uh, just 
turning up to it for you, Psalm 110. It says, uh, the Lord will send the, the rod of his strength to rule in the midst of, of those who are against uh, the rule of Christ. Uh, and his people, it says, will, will be volunteers at that time. Uh, it talks about them being like the dew of the morning. Uh, from the womb of the morning, it says, you'll, you'll be clothed in newness of life, the beauty of holiness. So, so lives transformed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to rule and when he executes uh, kings in the day of his wrath and judges among the nations. So you see, we know that there are institutions, there are political systems, all of which are bringing misery and suffering uh, and fear to, to thousands of people while the, the leaders are uh, enhancing their own power and influence and, and godless philosophies. Um, they'll be given the opportunity at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to submit to his rule, but those who refuse will be destroyed. And uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, you haven't got time to turn to that now, uh, talks about um, the believers, those who are described as the saints, those who have been given immortal life, being with the Lord Jesus Christ, going out into the earth in order to sort things out, to bring an end to tyranny and uh, oppression, and to bring freedom and release to those who are poor and needy. And Revelation chapter 19 similarly says the same thing. So we have this, this picture then of the resurrection taking place of individuals who have learnt about God's ways, who have either rejected those ways or accepted them and, and started to live God-fearing lives having associated themselves with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ through belief and baptism, they're raised to a judgment, and we have the sheep and the goats, we have uh, the wheat and the tares, uh, we have those who are accepted, those who are rejected, uh, depending upon their faith, not depending on their merits, whether they've been good or bad in that sense, but whether they've been faithful, they've tried, um, they, they, they've trusted in God and done their best to try to live God-fearing lives. And they're, they're, they're changed to have eternal life, to share with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that change will then enable the Lord Jesus Christ with those who are in that situation to confront the nations, to judge the nations, as, as we read in our introductory reading, uh, to judge the world in righteousness by that man. So the Lord Jesus Christ will, will sort out uh, the dysfunctional nature of our world and bring about instead a rule of peace and righteousness. Uh, what's described as the thousand year reign of Christ where the immortal saints will reign with Christ as kings and priests, it says. In other words, they'll have authority. They'll be teaching and, and helping people to understand uh, God's ways, um, they'll rule with, with God's authority. Uh, the mortal population, the ordinary people left in the earth will, will learn God's ways and justice and peace 
will flow to all the earth. So what a wonderful prospect that is. And, and if, you know, the concept of judgment, of people being destroyed and, and destruction and eternal death, all those things, it, it's pretty fearful. And indeed, it needs to be fearful. It, it should concentrate our minds. But let's also get hold of the fact that it's a wonderful prospect for those who put their trust in the things of God. They'll be amongst those who sing a new song, who are delighted to be a part of a world where the awful things that are happening today are swept aside. And instead, the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. Uh, uh, he will judge the peoples righteously. I'm reading from, from uh, Psalm 96. Uh, Everywhere, it says, there will be rejoicing and happiness because blessings will flow to all nations. He is coming, coming to judge the earth, to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. So surely, uh, that's what we want, isn't it? We want a world where there is justice, where there is peace. And when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we read about his life in the Gospels, then how wonderful it will be to have him in power and authority and glory with those who have tried their very best to follow his ways, being able to create the kind of world in which God wants his very characteristics to be manifested, his, his glory, his love, his mercy, his truth, to fill the whole earth. It's a prospect which each one of us surely wants. And there's a way that the gospel provides for us to be able to be part of it. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.